Now, the book of Acts is something we've been through since chapter 1, and it's been a labor of love to march all the way through Acts. Now, we know the story, right? Paul preaches, Paul's called, Paul preaches, Paul gets into conflict with the Jews, Paul gets in trouble, Paul gets stoned nearly to death, Paul gets back up, Paul travels to another city where God sends him, Paul preaches, Paul preaches to the Jews, the unbelieving Jews try to kill him, Paul gets up, Paul moves to the next city, Paul preaches to the Jews, the unbelieving Jews try to kill him, right? But all along the way, people are getting saved, and the gospel is getting given out to the world. Now, yesterday, uh, I haven't had a full debrief with Brother Adrian, but a little bit of conflict also happened yesterday, right, between ministries. And we come to the place that will there be ministry conflicts in church when we're doing ministry? When we're working for the Lord, will there be conflicts? Think about this. With all of the journeys Paul's done now since he's left Antioch, the, the, he's left the Middle East, if you will, go to Asia, and he's come back over to Europe, and he's going to end up back in Jerusalem. Think of the people who's come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Paul was very clear that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Is that true? But what happens when you have a Jewish man, boy or girl, like, let's just pick the apostle Peter for a second, or just Paul himself. They were raised in families where you don't eat certain foods. You don't mix with certain people. You don't mess with idols. There was all these things that you don't do, and they were raised with these rules, and it was comes from the Mosaic Law, from Moses. Don't touch anything unclean. Don't marry outside the race. All these things, don't, 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 because God said so. And mamas and daddies would teach that to their, or daddies would teach that to their families. Mamas would pass it on to their girls and boys, and then they would learn when they get older, they would pass on the traditions as well. And we know it's the way traditions work. That it's right here at Thanksgiving. I tell the story a lot, and I'll tell it again because it's so funny, and it tells about us. And y'all know if you've been in Town Creek for a long time, you know the story, but it's Thanksgiving. It's time to tell it again. The young girl asked her mama, Mama, why do you cut the ends off the roast? And she said, I don't know. Mama, Grandma always did that. Let's go ask her. And so they went to Grandma and said, Grandma, why do you always cut the ends off the roast when you cook it on, uh, around this time of year? And she said, I don't know. Let's ask Mom. Grandma, great-grandma was still alive. Great-grandma, why do you cut the ends off the roast when you cook a roast? And she said, the roast was too big for my pot. <laughs> Sometimes you do traditions just because they're traditions that don't make any sense, right? Is that true? Um, Chong and I got into an argument about the last week was Thanksgiving dinner. Chong has all these things. Do you all know what the giblets and giblet gravy is at Thanksgiving? It's all the things you normally throw away. But at Thanksgiving, for some reason, because everybody's coming over, you put them in the gravy. Those are the giblets. Chong's like, oh, no, we don't want the giblets in the gravy. I said, you got to put the giblets in the gravy because we live in South Carolina. you got to have all this foreign matter in there that looks like some kind of chunk that you don't know what it is, and you wouldn't eat it any other time of the year except Thanksgiving, right? Y'all have Thanksgiving traditions, don't you? Who eats cranberry sauce? If you've got to cover something with jelly to eat it, there's something wrong with it. Would you agree? It's a, it's, it's a bitter jelly. If you've got to smother it with jelly, it ain't worth having. Somebody had a mama who couldn't cook. And so dad brought in some cranberries to add to the fruit and just cover over that turkey or things, whatever it was. She couldn't cook, so just cover it with gravy and, or, or cover it with jelly. That's what, that's what cranberry sauce is. Is that right? Would, y'all, y'all, would you agree? If your food tastes good, you don't need jelly, right? And you don't need gravy. But So when you, when, cranberry sauce, I could stand cranberry sauce. Still, I can eat it. If you invite me to your house and you serve cranberry sauce, I will eat a small bite. But I don't like it. All right, so we got all these traditions and things we're thankful for. Aren't you glad of Thanksgiving memories? Have you had good ones? Some, okay, nobody's had a good Thanksgiving memory. I'm so sorry. 
Let me call the counselor hotline. I'll be right back, okay? <laughs> Listen, Thanksgiving, we have memories. We have people sitting at the table this year we might not have next year. Make those memories that God's blessed us with, and then think back and say good thoughts about people that aren't there, or the people that are overseas serving, or the people that are on the mission field. We know we went a couple of Thanksgiving without Mackenzie. This year is a very special Thanksgiving for us, her being with us. I give Mackenzie the hardest time because she's so much like me. We bounce off each other a lot of times in conversation. But we're thankful to have whoever's going to be around the table with us this year. We could go through and list of things. And last week, as we had opportunity to, before the Lord, bow a knee and say thank you to God and write on those cards. I have those cards, and I've been reading through the cards, and I've been amazed at what people are thankful for. And I'm so thankful for the heart of gratitude that our church espouses to the Lord Jesus Christ, first and foremost, but also to the, to the public. And it's, it's pretty amazing to see. Even the children, having this, in this generation, it's hard for children sometimes to be thankful because they have so much. Is that true? If you don't teach them to have a grateful heart, they won't. If you don't let them serve those who are underprivileged, they, they won't know any different. They'll think everybody's like me, and if I don't have it, I just cry, and, and I, I kick the floor till I get it. Is that true? Is that true? Look at the generation. Look at the looting that's happened around our country. Look at what's happened around the world. If I, if I want it, I'm going to get it. That's the generation we've raised. And that's not everyone, I know that. But we come to that place, we need to have a heart of... Uh, attitude of gratitude when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, Paul loved the people that he preached to. Paul loved the people, and he tells us. We know that he loved them because he told us that he loved them. And we know that God called him, and the Bible says in 1 John that God is love. So, God, uh, so Paul, with a passion for God, preached to these people. And I want you to see in the book of Acts, chapter 18, we're going to finish out the chapter today and see we got one more chapter down today if we get through this as we journey our way through Acts. And I want you to look together in God's Word. Take a copy of God's Word. And when you have it, say amen. amen. All right, Acts 18, 18. Let's begin. Paul saying goodbye for the sake of the gospel. Do y'all like saying goodbye to people that you love? It's a hard, hard thing to do sometimes. Here we go. Let's go together. Verse 18. So Paul still remained a good while, and then he took leave of the brethren and sailed from Syria with Priscilla and Aquila, where were with him. He had his hair cut off at Sincrea, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left uh, them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. We know what's happening, right? The next story, if we finished last week, was and Paul got beat up and run out of town. But that's not what happened to this case. God changed the scenario and changed the story. Verse 20, when they asked him to stay a little longer with them, he did not consent. Verse 21, but he took leave of them, saying, I must, by all means, Keep, in a better word, is due this coming feast in Jerusalem. But I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea, he'd gone up and he greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. And Antioch is the place where the church was that was his sending church. Verse 23. And after he'd spent some time there, he departed, went over to the region of Galatia and Phrygia, in order of strengthening all the disciples. Paul had a purpose. When Paul was on mission, and we know, of course, we were left out going, why did he shave his head again? And why couldn't he stay and spend time? Because he spent 18 months in Corinth. But if you're not careful, you'll read over that really quick because of the hard words. We don't use those words, those, those uh, places anymore. We're used to Aiken and New Ellington and words that are in our language that we understand. Paul understood these places, and he's sailing away. He's come from Athens. Remember, he stood before the philosophers of Athens, 45 miles away. He's down in Corinth. 
Then he's going to travel over to Ephesus. And in your Bible, and I even put that in your notes, this is where the books of the Bible come from. If you look at the very end of your notes, I put those in there for you so you can actually see. What books of the Bible did Paul write? He wrote Romans to the church at Rome, First and Second Corinthians to the church at Corinth, Galatians to the church at Galatia, Ephesians to the church at Ephesus, Philippians, and so on. And you can keep going. Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. And some scholars believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews to the Jewish nation so they would understand who they were. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but a lot of people believe that it's another one of the Pauline epistles or Pauline letters because it's a letter of instruction. But these we do know because it has his autograph. And we know that Paul loved the church by every time if you open up the book of Galatia, uh, Galatians or Ephesians, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. To all the saints who are here and beyond. He'll, he'll always address them. Now listen, if you're mad at somebody and don't love somebody, I dare say you would call them a saint of God. Would, would you agree? You might call them something else, but you wouldn't call them a saint of God. Is that true? So Paul addresses them saying, to the saints of God at this place. And Paul would each address and he said, I love you with a love that comes from where? It came through the power of the Holy Spirit. He loved them through Christ. Look at your notes, if you would. Paul established deep bonds with his fellow brothers and sisters in Corinth. And remember, Corinth is a capital sin city. It was a bad place as far as sin was concerned. Although the church at Corinth had many problems, Paul loved them and offered godly, corrective instruction to them. Would you agree? If you go back and read First and Second Corinthians, Paul says, listen, there's a man in your church that has his father's wife. What does that mean? That was a man who married his, or was having inappropriate relations with a stepmom. Does that freak anybody out, scare you, or like make you kind of feel weird? Is it happening in the church today? Is it happening in the church today, here in 21st century? People having all kind of weird relationships? That same relationship happened in our church when I first got to this church. You say, Pastor, no. If you've been here a long time, you know it's true. We try to deal with the issue because what happens is God has put the church in order. Did y'all understand that? God is the head of the church, and what God says so about his church is so. Well, I, well Pastor, I don't, I don't agree with that. I talked I the other night on Sunday nights about how the order of the church is. About We answered the question, can a divorced man be a deacon, and can women be deacons in the church? And we answered the question that God has an order. And you say, well, I didn't come to give me the answer. No, get the recorded copy of it because you need to know more than just the answer, right? In order, can a divorced man be served as deacon? You need to know what a deacon is. True? And in order for a divorced man to serve as a deacon, if you don't answer that question, you've got to know what divorce is. Is that true? In order to know what divorce is, you've got to know what marriage is. Is that true? And in order to know what marriage is, you've got to know where marriage comes from. Is that true? And where does it come back to? It ends up at where? At the feet of God. Marriage is God's idea. Is that true? I want you to see that when you come through and understand. When we read God's word, when we preach God's word, it's not our opinion, and our opinion matters. Therefore, we're Baptists. Therefore, we preach it a certain way. We slice the apple this way, and everybody else slices it this way. We come as best we can to say, what does the word of God say? When Paul came to this place, he loved these people at Corinth. Something about the fellowship happened, and he had Jews and he had Gentiles coming to Christ. What was the Jewish custom? Don't eat with those people. Don't marry those people. Their customs are different. Our customs don't mix with those people. The Gentiles was like, hey, let's go. Free for all. They're having a steak sale downtown. Prime rib, 50% off. Yes, it's been dedicated to the God of Moloch who burns babies, right? They dump, they dump their babies in the volcanoes for him. 
yeah, yes, it's been dedicated to this God or this God. And the Jews are like, I ain't touching that meat. I ain't getting near that. Well, can't you have beef? The answer is, can a Jewish person eat beef? As long as it wasn't strangled. There were some different things. They could, have, they could have beef, of course. But there was a certain way to prepare the beef. Same thing we worked in Canada. Not, they're not Christians, but the Muslims. Halil, the food. It had to be prepared a certain way, so they said. Very legalistic rules. But we tried to keep within so we could actually have a witness to them. We tried to keep uh, the food that we had for them prepared in a certain way. That they could actually eat the food. But the Jewish people are coming to Christ. The non-Jews are coming to Christ. And now... God, and I think God's got a great sense of humor, just for the record. These people have to come to the same table. Paul's calling the church to be one because God's calling the church to be one. And when they have their fellowships, what do they bring in? If I'm coming as a Gentile, I'm, I'm rolling in and I'm bringing all my steak that I bought at the market because it was on sale. We're going to have a potluck supper, right? Have you ever had a potluck dinner at church? These are the best of times, and these are the worst of times. Isn't that true? Right? Best of times for the mothers who can cook, and the worst of times for those who can't. Right? This is extra crispy. No, that's burnt. Right? There's a difference. What I want you to understand is people would bring their food into this culture, and Paul was with them for 18 months. You think he ate a lot of food? He was a preacher. You think he ate a lot of food? He did. But he, he was a Jewish man, and could Paul eat meat that was dedicated to an idol before he became a Christian. No, he would not touch it. He would actually even try to persecute the person that would try to offer him that meat. He couldn't eat bacon. He couldn't eat nothing. But could he eat it after he became a Christian? He could, but he says, if you go back and read Corinthians, he says, listen, I'm free to eat everything. That's what we call this big word we use today called Christian liberties, right? Today, it's not eating food. Today, it's about drinking alcohol today. That's, That's the big one right now that came through the 80s and 90s. People want to drink alcohol and say, listen, that's why we have different denominations. Because when people say, well, I used to be a Southern Baptist, but now I'm a Methodist. I said, that's because you wanted to drink alcohol publicly, right? Most people switch denominations so they can drink. Did y'all know that? Our Presbyterian friends, you say, Pastor, we shouldn't say that. Ask them. Ask them. I believe you have Christian liberty. The Bible does not talk about beer. And you're going to be surprised when I say this, because y'all know I hate alcohol. It's liquid devil. Is that true? There's nothing good that comes out of it today. There's not one thing that good comes out of your drinking alcohol. Well, it's just a glass of wine or just a beer with pizza. It's just that. Listen, it's a stumbling block for those who are led astray by it. Is that true? And Paul said to the church at Corinth, the church he's actually been hanging out with, he said, listen, if eating meat sacrificed to an idol makes you stumble, I'll never eat meat again. He didn't say I'll never eat that meat again. He said I'll never eat meat again. I'll be a vegetarian so I don't cause you to stumble. But when a brother or sister comes, and if you come to me for counseling and you've been struggling with something, and I say, hey, hold on just a minute, and I go, would you like something to drink? And you say, yeah, I'll take a, a bottle of water, and I pop out a bottle of water for you, and then I bring out a long neck Budweiser for me. Has anybody got a problem with that? Yeah, you should, right? Because there's a standard we have that we call, we're Christians. I don't want to lead you astray. Or if you're laying at the beach, if you're with friends, and I've got friends who aren't Christians, and if you go to the beach with somebody, and there are six empty cans of beer sitting beside you, and lo and behold, I'm sitting there sunning, which I won't be sunning, you won't catch me at the beach sunning, but if I'm there, I'll be under the tent, and there's six empty cans of beer beside me, all my friends are swimming in the surf, what are you thinking about me? Well, he's not sleeping, he's sleeping it off, right? 
There's thoughts that you have, and we know this to be true, yet we don't care when we go in society. I've been with people who just were, were alcoholics, and they, they became Christians, and they saw deacons of another church and going, Clint, is he, is he drinking? I was like, listen, there's Christian liberty of the church. Yeah, but I was, he knows that, I said, listen, he didn't know you were coming to the restaurant tonight. But should you prepare before you go to a restaurant that if I'm a Christian and I go before, and I believe a minister can't drink at all. That's just my, I believe if you go back and look at the qualifications. But people say, well, the Bible says don't have, no, you have, don't have much wine. Deacons should have much wine. Well, that's when they didn't have medicine, y'all. They have Pepto-Bismol now, right? Is that true? There's heartburn medicine today. Is that true? Everyone's like, I just want to drink a little wine from my stomach, Pastor. No, you don't. You drink wine because it gives you a buzz. Is that true? It's just good with my dinner. Not the whole bottle. Right? You say, what about if you go overseas? The water's so contaminated, they have to drink alcohol. That's true, but look how many alcoholics are overseas. Go to France. Bunch of alcoholics. Go to Italy. Bunch of alcoholics. Church, listen, if you can't put it down, there's something wrong. There's something. You're probably addicted to that, right? The Bible says in Proverbs, beer is a brawler and wine is a mocker, and those who are led astray by it are fools. He said, well, check it for yourself. Check it. Proverbs 20 and 21 says it twice. He even says a drunk person is like somebody, a sailor on top of the mast, swirling back and forth, going, who hit me? Who hit me? And the next morning gets up and goes, whew, let's get another drink. That's somebody who's addicted to the alcohol. Is that true? But it goes beyond alcohol because if that offends you, and I'll see some of your faces because some of y'all are telling me how much you drink on a regular basis. You're like, hmm i got to get out of this church. You know you can't walk out right now because you'll think everybody thinks I'm talking about you. And I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about alcohol. And listen, I was not a Christian in the U.S. Navy. How do sailors talk? You ever heard somebody say he cusses like a sailor? What else are sailors known for besides spinach? Living a very rough life. So there's nothing I haven't, I don't think I haven't seen overseas. And although I told you before, when they would tell us, they would debrief us before we'd land somewhere, they would debrief us and say, these are the red light districts, don't go to these districts. And what is that to a sailor? Ding, 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 ding. That's where the action's at. Go there because you're going to have the most fun where the lights are red. That's why carnivals light up. Is that true? Now look, see, when you come full circle, I understand what it means to be led astray by that. It's personal. But I still think it's liquid devil. You say, well, it's just a glass of wine or just a beer. That is your Christian liberty, but I'm telling you, you're going to lead somebody astray. When a daddy drinks one and tells his boys and girls, don't do this, he's got nothing to say to them when they're drinking 10 and 12 when they're 15 years old. you got nothing to say. Because you've role modeled their whole life, this is how it is. Do as I say, not as I do. That's called hypocritical. Is that true? Church, this is serious stuff. Paul's come here to the church of Corinth. He preaches. You go read First and Second Corinthians. He comes in hard on them, saying, "Stay away, stay away from those things led to idol. If it leads somebody astray, you can do what you want to do." How many times have I been to your house? Anybody invite the pastor over, and I look in your refrigerator see if you get any alcohol? Because it's not just alcohol now, y'all. I want you to transition. So you, I want to relieve your burdens. Those of you that are stressed out over this alcohol story. When and then we're just in Colorado. Marijuana's legalized in, in Colorado. So my question to you is this, and, and in, in Oregon and Washington, now the harder drugs have been, regal, the people voted, yeah, let's get them, recreational drugs. So let me ask you a question, and I mean it very soon, it's going to sound very funny, and you're going to giggle a little bit maybe, if I hadn't said something instead of, do you think it's possible that a deacon who serves a church can shoot up heroin, yes or no? Why? 
Because it's a drug. Do you think it's okay if a deacon in a church or pastor smokes a joint with as long as he's doing it with his church members? Anybody against that? Why? It's a drug. Does anybody think it's wrong that a pastor has a beer with his church members? Well, pastor, that's different. You know why it's different? It's because it's in our culture today. That's why it's different today. But let me ask you a question. How far do we go with what the limitations are? That's what Paul's trying to tell the church at Corinth, and we're going to get into the church at Corinth soon. How far do we go with it? How far do we limit it? Because what is the pe- people's nature is to let anything go. So Paul's preaching. He's instructing. He's giving them the hard stuff. Because we know what he preached when he wrote 1 and 2 Corinthians. So what do you think he preached when he was in person? What do you think he said to them? He instructed them how? Not making fun of them, not hurting them, but understanding the love that God has from them and the hatred that Satan has for them. And he's trying to say, stay away from this. Stay true to the one that saved you. He's constantly stay true to him. In person, how do you think Paul preached every Sunday? You think I get offensive sometimes. How do you think Paul preached every Sunday directly from God? Thus saith the word of God. God said, stay away from this sin. Stay away from that temple. Stay away from those idols. But listen. Do you have the right to go eat steaks dedicated to an idol downtown? Yes, you have the Christian liberty up until the point that you don't lead your brother or sister astray. I want you to look at the Word of God. Now, Paul goes to this place. He loved these people. He, that's why he preached the truth. That's why we preach the truth in our church. It's because we love. We're not mad at anybody. You say, Pastor, it, I used to like going to the steeplechase because the food was so good. And some people I know that go to different churches, they would, when I'd walk up, they'd put their beer behind their back. And I don't care. Listen, it doesn't offend me. You understand what I'm saying? I'm I'm not led astray by that. But I would just stand there and talk to them the longest so their arm would go to sleep. (laughs) I'd I'd think of things to talk about just so see how long they could keep it back there because they'd stand like this the whole time I'm talking. Then I'd make up about the weather's nice. Man, did you see the horses? And I'd just stand there just for fun. I shouldn't have done that, right? I know. I should ask for forgiveness for that. Maybe I'd, Lord, forgive me, right? It's, I'm not your God. Is that true? And you're not my God. I answer to the one we just sang to. We sang praises to him who saved our soul. I answer to him, if he convicts you of something, obviously come to the place and change your conviction, saying, Lord, I want to get in line with you. But if he's given you Christian liberty in this case, what do you do? I'm good with God. But if you have to think about it twice, listen, you might want to check up on it. Is that true? Your traditions and things that you do, I want you to see the next paragraph. God allowed Paul and his team to see many Jews and Gentiles come to Christ in Corinth. The coming together forced people from different backgrounds to be transformed into one body. First Corinthians, go to 1 Corinthians with me just so we can take a sneak peek at what he was preaching. We know what he was preaching because he says, I want to remind you, I want to go back and tell you what I told you before. Look at what he was preaching. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And by the way, when we do the Lord's Supper the first Sunday of each month, guess what scripture I take the how to do the Lord's Supper from? Jesus talked about it. But what scripture do I take it from? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is how we do the Lord's Supper. This is how we should act in the church of God. This is how we perform the Lord's Supper. And guess what? We talk about love at weddings. Pastor will open the Bible and say, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. And he'll talk about all these words that we have in marriage. Paul was trying to set right what the church should be like. So here we are. What's the church like today? Go back and read verses 1 through 11. You'll see some gifts that the Holy Spirit has given the church. Verse 12, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. 
Do we understand that? A lot of words, right? A lot of one. This is the best way to understand the scripture for me. Take your finger, lace your pointer, or whatever finger you're using, point like this, like a number one. Who are we to become? One. Who do we become? One. Under the banner of? Keep your finger pointing. Your finger will give you the answer. Just, just check your finger, right? Who are we to become? One. Under the banner of? Jesus Christ. So when you bring a Jew and a Gentile, you've got to eat supper. What do we bring to the table? The Gentiles, <laughs> air, right? The safest thing to eat. Nothing. So can you eat this? So what am I going to do if I'm a Gentile and i got a Jewish brother who's just fresh Christian like me? I'll make mistakes, but what am I going to bring to the table? Am I going to bring my best pork chops from the pig I slaughtered? Am I going to bring a bacon sandwich to the, to the table just to test my brother and see if he'll eat it because now he's free in Christ? What am I going to bring to the table, church? There's one restaurant in the country that's figured it out, that we all can eat it. Chick-fil-A, that's what I'm bringing to the table. That's exactly right. I'm bringing chicken to the table, right? Actually, I couldn't bring Chick-fil-A because they serve sausage biscuits on, on each morning, right? So they have pork in the building. So I wouldn't bring even Chick-fil-A to the meeting. I'd bring chicken probably or bring a lamb because that would be culturally acceptable for both sides. I would not offend them. And if I'm, a, if I'm a Jewish brother coming to the table, what am I going to do? If I see my brother, he's eating something that's been mixed together. He's drinking mixed drink or mixed wine, if you will, and... I can't have that. What am I going to say to him? Man, you shouldn't be drinking that. Is that what they do? What was the first fight in the church when it was established in Acts chapter 6? It was a food fight, right? It was over, we're doing the food our way. No, you do the food another way. No, the apostles, hey, they're doing food. They're, not, they're leaving our people out. And they were leaving their people out. There has to be a coming together. Listen, there's got to be a referee of sorts, right? That's why God has left, if you will, pastors and deacons still in the church today. We have a responsibility and a job to do. And our job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. And then the deacons are to serve the church and see that peace and harmony lives within the body of Christ. That we are unified under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every time you have a conflict at church or with another brother, sister, or Christian, just put up that index finger and let them tell you, I'm responsible for being unified as one under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just ask your index finger what the answer is, and it's going to be, I must be one. Well, I don't like the way that church does it. Get over it. Amen? If it's unbiblical, then say your voice. But if you don't like something, get over it. Agree to disagree without being disagreeable. Or join another church. If, if their traditions are differently. But when you go to join another church, guess what you're going to find out? I don't like the way they do that. It doesn't matter where you go. If God has not called you there, you're never going to be happy there. Is that true? But if God's called you there, then you take the 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1-11, through 11, saying, I've been given a gift, and I will use those gifts in the body, the one body under the one Christ, by the power of the one Holy Spirit, to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ and honor the Father with my gifts. That's who I'll be because I love Jesus. I won't like everything that goes around me, that happens around me. Right? The ministry that happened yesterday, I didn't go. There were enough people to go. I missed out. Did I want to go? Yes, I did. I didn't go because obviously there's ministry that has to happen, right? And you come to the place, look what Paul says to the church of Corinth, verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Keep, look at the number one, keep popping up. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into, what's the next word in your Bible? One spirit. For in fact, is not 
What's the next word? One member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? You'd say, dumb question. One, feet don't talk. And two, the foot says, I'm not, a, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand. Does that happen in the church today? Well, she gets to be up front. And, and he gets to, the, everybody's always telling him thank you. And, and they're always holding the door. And I always see them serving in this capacity. They're always leading the music. And I'd like to be doing that myself. And all these different things until we come to the place saying, listen, under the banner of Christ, Lord, I'll serve you where you put me. Until you move me. And he moves us in the church sometimes as you mature. He'll move you into a place of teaching the Bible. Our Sunday school teachers and Bible teachers have a huge responsibility. The Bible says in the book of James, they're hold double accountable to the Lord. They're going to give account of the information they're putting out to you. They must open the Word of God and give you the Word of God. I'm held double accountable. Our deacons are called to serve. Biblically serve. They're not your doormats to wipe your feet on them, Right? They're your servants to love you and point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. My job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. In our culture today, we, we hired the preacher to do that job. What's he doing Monday through Sunday? That's what he gets paid to do, right? That's the mentality. We have missionaries for that. Why do I have to go? I'll pray and give a little bit extra money, and, but don't bother me with that stuff. Is that true? In many churches, committee meetings rule everything just so we can meet and feel like I call me the chairman of the committee. Say chairman. Say chairman to me. Call me the chairman. Right? And then I feel I've, I've got my reward. Isn't that what Jesus said? Well, as soon as man goes, oh, you did awesome. I love you so much. You're awesome. Which church couldn't make it without you, sister. We, we couldn't stand without you, brother. And you feel like, oh, that's right. I talked about that when I talked about women in the church, right? The deacons. How many women have said, if it wasn't for the women of the church, this church would have folded years ago? Who do you think you are? That you're saying Almighty God could not keep a body together, his body, one body together because of you. Could you imagine you taking God's glory saying it's because of me that this church stayed together? Could you imagine a pastor saying that? Let me tell you why this church stays away. It's because of me. I'm tired of all this and I go in and I list all the things I'm mad at everybody with. Preachers do that sometimes. And they want to take all the glory. And if it wasn't for me, y'all people, you wouldn't be here. That's not how it is. I could die right here, right now. This church has been going, Town Creek Baptist Church has been going for 160 years. In the, you think it's seen a pandemic before? Some of you don't know your history. Has, has it seen a pandemic before? Has it seen a war before? Has it seen a Republican president? Has it seen a, Democratic, a Democrat president? Has it had good times? Has it had bad times in 160 years? This church has been through it. You know why? Because this is the body of Christ. It's not because of some man or some woman who thinks they have ownership. Well, my brother, my, my uncle, my granddaddy, I can't tell you how many people over the arguments of our graveyard, our old graveyard down there, there's been at least four people that says, my granddaddy gave you all that land to this church for that graveyard. That's our family plot. Well, how can four men give the same piece of property to the church? Guess who it belongs to now? Town Creek Baptist Church. You don't have special rights because you think something happened in the past because your mama or your aunt or your daddy or somebody said that's so. What's matter is what's written is so. 
Let me run through these, these notes. You'll see this. Paul was preaching to the church of Corinth. He talked about them. You keep going. He tells them how to be one. He tells them how to love each other, how to serve each other. He constantly comes back. Come to Jesus. Come back to Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus. Remember the one that saved you. It's Jesus who saved you. It's Jesus you serve. It's Jesus' church. He's the head of the church. Always come back to Jesus. Amen? So when you get an upper lip, guess what you should do? Our bottom lip, pucker. Come to Jesus. Jesus, and pastors can do this. See, listen, I'm preaching to myself. We can get so frustrated. I mean, I'm in a pastor's conference on Facebook now and hear pastors crying each week. Well, church members said they, they made fun of me. I heard a deacon making fun of me. This is a grown man, y'all, real pastor. What do you say? My nature is, dear brother, get over it. That's what I typed. I wouldn't receive well. Could you imagine the Apostle Paul crying because somebody didn't like him? They whipped his behind everywhere he went. They beat him down everywhere he went. And you could imagine one person saying, the, the deacon hurt my feelings. They might want to throw my computer off my desk and go see wherever that pastor is. Like, Are, you need your behind whips, what you need, right? Get over yourself. You've been called to lead the people of God. We're going to be, listen, we're going to be persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. He said so. Our Savior said so. You're going to be persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. And we should give thanksgiving for that. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. I get to be persecuted for your namesake. Has anybody ever said that? What do we do? Especially in America. I have my rights. Right? You took away my rights. Where do your rights come from? God. Paul attempted to deal with the false accusations brought against him in Corinth by remaining with the believers and lovingly instructing them in the way of God. He lovingly instructed them. He was forceful. Because you read First and Corinthians... It will, it will give you a bloody nose spiritually, y'all, if you read it. Read it for yourself. He'll cover some things you need to work on in First and Second Corinthians. I want to encourage you to read it for yourself. He'll hurt your feelings when you read it. Paul made a vow to God by shaving his head. He affirmed that he had completed his vow. And by the way, be careful about making a vow to God. This was a Jewish custom. This is called a Nazarite vow. Paul was a man who was on mission. The Nazarite vow wrote a couple things and you get it online, it's uh, Jeremiah's special online. The Nazarite vow is taken by individuals who have voluntarily dedicated themselves to God. The vow is a decision, an action, a desire on the part of people who desire to, is to yield themselves to God completely. The Hebrew word nazar simply means to be separated or consecrated. Here's five things. The Nazarite vow, which appears in Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 21, you can read it for yourself, has five features. It is voluntarily. You impose it on yourself. You take the vow. It can be done by either men or women. It has a specific time frame. It has a specific requirements and restrictions. And at its conclusion, a sacrifice is offered. Do we do the Nazarite vow today? The answer is, I wouldn't encourage you. That's not part of our custom. And I also want to encourage you, don't promise. Oh, baby, I, I promise you. I promise you. Next week, I'll do that for you. Honey, I, I promise I'll do that for you. Because James says, be careful. You don't know what a day holds. You won't be here tomorrow if the Lord says... Your tomorrow's not coming, not here on earth, but in heaven. So dads and moms, let me encourage you, especially with little kids, don't promise so you won't be a promise breaker. Come and say, like Paul says, if the Lord wills, we'll do this. Because when he's leaving them, he's like, in church's office, he's like, they're like, stay with us. Finally, the Jewish people said, stay with us instead of beating him up. And he goes, I can't, I got a vow, I've made a vow, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to keep the feast in Jerusalem, I've got to go. He said, but I'll come back to you if the Lord wills. Is that the way we should pray today? 
when we pray for healing, what do we want? We want it fixed right now. Lord, I prayed for this, and therefore you should do this right here, right now. That's how we feel sometimes. That's how I pray, with full intentionality that God is going to do what we're asking him to do because he's put it on our heart. But we also finish praying, if the Lord wills, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how he told us to pray. Is that true? And that's how we pray. Well, Paul said goodbye to the church at Corinth and set his attention to do the feast in Jerusalem. Not keep, but do. New King James says keep it, but it really means to do it. He actually had to go and do it. How could he do or keep the feast in Jerusalem at this time? What's, so there was something there then that's not there now. What is it called? The temple. The temple was there. So he, he could go and do these vows at the temple. Paul arrived in Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem. He reasoned with the Jews in the synagogue. And we know that he did this. We know that he shared the gospel with them, right? Everywhere he went, what did he do? You ever remember, you ever watched Batman when you were kids, those older like me? Same bat time, same bat channel. Do y'all remember those, the bams and the whoosh and all that came out? Y'all look at me like, who remembers that? Anybody raise your hand, please. Okay, good. There's some people that don't know. Same bat time, same bat channel. And we were ready to watch it the next day, right? Because the next episode, because it would go, to be continued. Like, oh, are you kidding me? So that's the way Paul was. Listen, he reasoned with them. He shared the gospel. He knew every single time he's going to do the same thing. Every time Paul went somewhere, he's going to preach Jesus. Finally, the notes, the Jews in Ephesus wanted Paul to stay with them longer. But what did Paul do? Paul said goodbye because his priority at this point was to do the Hebrew festival in Jerusalem. His priority was he was called on mission. You say, well, how did we know it? It had to be between he and the Lord. It was something he was committed to do. We talked about this morning in Sunday school a little bit. When did Jesus die on the cross? Do you all know what day it was, what feast it was? It was the Passover feast. Jesus had to die and be the sacrificial lamb on Passover. It was God's plan. It wasn't coincidental. The Old Testament Jews all came to town. Why? Because it was the Passover. And if you put, we, and I, I shared this in Sunday school, but I don't share it with you all in case you hadn't heard it. All the old preachers say, we're under the blood. You ever heard that preach? And everybody would have to take their lamb and, and sacrifice their lamb or kill their lamb, take the blood of the lamb, put it over the doorpost, and go under the blood to get into the house. And everyone in the house was covered under the blood. And the death angel passed by. And today, the sacrificial lamb of God, the lamb of God, has died for us, for you and for me. And anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have to worry about the threat that's against us. When you come see me, you see Pastor Clint, you see me as Clint Smith. And where am I? I'm under the blood. When God sees me, who does he see? He sees Christ Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for me. So when Passover came about, the feast of Passover came, guess what happened? Jesus Christ was our Passover lamb. But when did he rise again? The feast of, listen, the feast of festivals are coming to the place on Sunday. Because Sunday was coming. Y'all knew that, right? Because he said it was coming. It was another festival that happened on that Sunday when he rose again. Why did God let it happen that way? Because his ways are higher than our ways. When did the Holy Spirit come upon the church? Feast of or the day of? Pentecost. It was the feast of Pentecost. Why? Because that was God's plan. These are not accidental times of the festivals that God set up. These are Old Testament pictures of he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And he did come, right? He fulfilled every prophecy that was said about him. But guess what? The New Testament we have, he was here and he's coming again. Amen? We just sing it. Come on, y'all. He was here, and he's coming again. Amen? Amen? Our Thanksgiving this week, we can rock it out this week because we know Jesus is coming back. 
I've preached this since I've been here about almost 12 years. We're seven days closer this Sunday than we were last Sunday to his return. Does that get you excited? Every Sunday we're seven days closer. We might not make it the next Sunday. We might be in the Lord's house, in his big house in heaven. Amen? Isn't that something to look forward to? Did you ever stop and think about just when Jesus' return? Did you ever practice your takeoff? I told you, I get, in a, I get in a Superman position in the elevator. I just <laughs> University Hospital is the best place to practice, just for the record. Nobody else is clear? Press the 10th floor button and just hold on your position. <laughs> the thing takes off. The hospital elevator goes so fast. I'm like, Lord, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait till the return of Christ. No, no one else ever practiced an elevator? Y'all don't believe you're going home. And I, I think... Uh, Go to University Hospital in Augusta, get, put nobody else around, press 10, don't let nobody on the elevator with you, and just ride your way up. It's, it goes so fast, it feels like, whoo, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming soon. And then I go back to the floor I'm supposed to go to. It's a, that's just a little preacher insight, just so you know. Finally, Paul arrived in Caesarea and greeted the church at Antioch. He stayed with them briefly before saying what, church? Goodbye. He's saying goodbye to all his brothers. He's saying goodbye to the church at Corinth. He had to say goodbye to those believers in Athens. He had to say goodbye to Thyatira. He had to say goodbye, and he's constantly saying goodbye because he has a mission, he has a purpose to keep. Paul arrived in Caesarea, greeted the church in Antioch. He stayed with them briefly before saying goodbye and headed to edify the church in Galatia and Phrygia. Today our Bibles, if you last note, our Bibles contain the words of God. Paul, uh, God gave Paul to write to his fellow believers. He encountered through his missionary journeys. We have a record of God's L-O-V-E. God's love. That Bible you hold in your hand, listen, I don't know how you treat it. Some of our Bibles are falling apart because they get older, but listen, this is the holy word of God. Do you read it? Do you spend time listening to it? This is how you're going to know him. Every time the Bible says if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Well, how do you draw near to God? You can't go to heaven. It's every time I open his word and I spend time saying, oh, this is what God did for Paul. This is what God did for Silas. This is what God did for Matthew. This is what God did for John. This is what God did for, go down the list, Daniel. We heard a song coming home. I was flipping channels because couldn't get anything on the radio. We're coming through Clinton, South Carolina, and the atmospherics were crazy yesterday. So we're getting every channel, therefore no channel. And <clears throat> Garth Brooks, God's, I think it's Garth Brooks, Unanswered Prayers, that is, is he singing that song? Old song. And I said, what in the world? I hate that song. I was like, that's a good comic song. He didn't marry his high school sweetheart because she turned out to be an evil woman. I don't know what happened to something. He said, but thank God for unanswered prayer. And I was like, that ain't unanswered prayer. God told him no, right? That's answered prayer. Thank God for answered prayer because he could have married that woman, right? I'm, I'm breaking a country music song down. I don't like country music very well. But God, listen, church, let me encourage you. Don't sing that song. God answers your prayer. If you're going to make a dumb decision, Lord, please help me with wisdom, He's going to tell you, don't make that dumb decision. Don't, nope, don't do that. If you're going to do it anyway, he's going to come on the other side and say, listen, ask for forgiveness and I'll forgive you. And going from just my will, now I'm going to go into my permissive will. But I want to encourage you, every time you ask God, ask him an expectation. He answers every single prayer. God answers every single prayer. When Paul preached, when he's going back to Jerusalem, he had to trust that those sailors knew the way to Ephesus. Is that true? Yeah, because he wasn't a sailor. He had to trust the captain of the ship. He had, he, had to he had to trust the people that were moving him along that actually would get his ticket right, that he would land. The, you ever flew and landed in the wrong place? We were trying to get McKinsey back to Thailand when she came on for a wedding. She had to fly all the way to Russia to fly back to Thailand because of COVID. 
they were having to find a way to get her on the other side of the world to get her back to her place where she was staying. Sometimes God will do that because he wants you to have that experience. And along the way, share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, I'm not even supposed to be in this country. Share Jesus. I'm not supposed to be here right now. My job, I'm not supposed to be in this job. If they move you from accounting to dishwashing, guess what you should do? Be the best dishwasher that you can be and give God the praise. If they, if they move you from, listen, <laughs> and when you start shoveling hay, that's when you start getting mad, right? How do I give glory for this mess, right? Whatever your job is, it can be any job, right? Is that true? It can be any job, name it, trash collector, you name it. And if we don't, something we don't prefer, we can get that lip, right? And guess what you should do? Get over it, right? Thank you, God, you give me this right here, right now. You guys, listen, our value does not come from other people. Did y'all know that? Even though it's nice to hear thank you and I love you and I support you, our values, even in our marriages, come from where? From God. He says, I love you. I died for you. I rose again the third day for you. I will walk with you, and I'll never leave you nor forsake you because you belong to me. Isn't that a good comforting thought? It's a wonderful thought to think about this Thanksgiving. God, thank you for being with us. That dinner table, listen, put an extra chair out for the Lord. He's there already. He don't need your chair. Or we're in his presence, right? He didn't have to come to us. He's everywhere all the time. His, anytime something happens, it happens in his presence, just so you know. The Lord doesn't, we, sometimes when we pray, we say, Lord, we invite you to church today. You ever thought about that prayer? What are you talking about? This is his place. He's already here. Right? If I walked in the building, guess what? I know the Holy Spirit's here because where does he live? In me and around me. Is that true? So when you come to the place, this is his place. We happen to walk in his presence. When you get in your car, I know what the title says for DMV, but it's not your car. I don't know if y'all know that or not. When you get to the house, I know the mortgage. You're paying that bank, right? You're paying that mortgage, that rent. I got news for you. It's not yours. It belongs to the Lord. He says, welcome home. Right? Welcome, welcome to your apartment. Welcome to your place to stay in. This is my place. I invite you in. Everything we have, everything we are, we walk into his presence. That's why the Bible says, be careful how we live. Live a holy life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you, Lord, for this word that Paul even as he's saying goodbye to the church all over Europe and Asia, he's coming home to ascending church. And Lord, we know he's going to say goodbye to them, and we know he's going to head back to Jerusalem, and he's going to keep the feast. And Lord, if we read ahead, we know he's going to say goodbye to the church at Jerusalem, and he's going to head back to Europe and Asia. Father, he talks about finishing a race, and he's in the middle of this race. He's, he's like he's on a multi-multi-continent marathon, if you will, Lord. He's running a, the amazing race all over the world to finish the race for the glory of Jesus Christ. We are your people, and Lord, we desperately need to finish the race as well. We want to hear, well done, that good and faithful servant. Father, there's people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray today was the day of salvation. They would at least investigate and say, God, if you're really real, would you show yourself to me? And Lord, we know that you will. And there's people, Lord, who worry so much, and they struggle with life, but they're believers. Lord, help them with their worry to set that aside and fully trust you. There's people who have liberties, Lord. I pray they would set aside their liberties so they might honor you with their lives and not be a stumbling block. And Lord, each day we grow, we want to be more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. We need you, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, for his sake, amen.